0: the Bean Ninjas Podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas Podcast. Today, we're talking to Sarah from Destination Legal. Sarah, I didn't want to have a go at pronouncing your surname. Do you want to say your full name for us? Sure.
0: Excited to be here, Merel. Thank you. And it's Sarah Kornblatt-Walbusier. It is a mouthful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wonderful. And it's so great to have you here. I know we met in as part of the Dynamite Circle group at a conference in Bangkok a number of years ago and have stayed in touch. So it's great to have you on the show and to be talking all things legal.
0: Do you want to yeah, start- it's great to be here.
1: Do you want to start by talking a little bit about your background and how you've got to where you are today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure like many listeners um, and, you know, a lot of us in the entrepreneurial online business space, my journey was definitely not a straight road. Uh, Lots of, lots of curves along the way. Um, I started my legal career, many years ago, over 10 years ago um, in Washington DC at a law firm. And I realized pretty quickly that the traditional path of partnership in a law firm was not for me. Um, I was there just about two years before I made a switch. And and at that point in my mid twenties, I was really after travel. I just wanted to travel, travel, travel. Uh, so I entered into international global health law, doing some really niche um, work for think tanks and universities in D.C. And while through that, I had the opportunity to travel all over Asia and Africa and the Middle East doing this work, I realized two things during that time. One was traveling for work is not the same as traveling for yourself. Um, because often I would be in these great cities, but there for just a limited time and spent most of the time in the hotel. And second, traveling just a couple months out of the year meant I was still spending nine or 10 months, um, every day in a windowless office. So again, even though I was, um, in a pretty interesting job with interesting people, I just wasn't happy and realized that there has to be something else out there. And so I I remember one spring day back in 2012, I was Googling things like travel while you work, work while you travel. And I stumbled across these two guys running a podcast called the tropical MBA. Um, And that was Dan and Ian and and they run the dynamite circle, how we met. And it, it kind of just opened this whole other world for me that I didn't even realize existed. And that was the world of online business. And I started listening to them every day on my walk to and from work, and within, gosh, three or four months, I quit my job, I cashed in my 401k, and I signed up to do one of their uh, events on an island in the Philippines about how to start an online business. And now they don't do those anymore, but it was something that really changed the direction of my life, and I got to meet people that I'm still friends with and, and in touch with today. And... That was when I started my first business called the Bootstrap Lawyer. And it was, you know, I'm sure, I don't know, you guys started out pretty well with being ninjas, but a lot of us had these terrible websites and just didn't know what we were doing. And that's kind of how I felt. So it didn't last that long. And at that time, uh, the online legal space was very new. There weren't a lot of attorneys that were working online. We were all kind of trying to figure out how to do it. So I took a step back and for a couple years did some consulting. I started an e-commerce business. I was just really trying to find my way. But fortunately during this time I was also traveling. So I lived in Thailand and Vietnam and and met up with a bunch of people in our entrepreneurial circle, the Dynamite Circle. And it was really great. Um... But eventually, I wanted to slow down and really figure things out. And, and through this time, I met people doing all different kinds of things, and they all kept coming to me with legal questions. They knew I was a lawyer. They knew I had some of that background. And so they would come to me for help with some contracts, and how do I protect my website, and I need to do this. And so that was kind of the beginning of... Um, for me in terms of, okay, well, I am an attorney. I spent a lot of money in law school. How can I, how can I make this work? And do I even want to make this work? Because I didn't enjoy being a lawyer. So I found it, you know, how was I going to make this into something that I wanted to do every day? So I decided to kind of settle back down in the U S and try to figure things out. And it was within that first year, um, back in, this was 2015, that I started another business this time, um, more focused on the legal. And I had also found the coaching world. Again, a new world that I didn't know existed. And I was running into a bunch of health coaches and business coaches. And everybody just kept asking me all these questions. And I saw how unprotected people were running their businesses. And it started to, to, to drive me a little crazy because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you are operating this business that you love in such a dangerous way and I don't want to see you lose money. I don't want to see you end up getting sued. And so I started to put together some, some templates and some packages and it really just grew from there. And, you know, I've been running destination legal for a couple years now and um, I have a template shop where I sell legal contracts and privacy policies and website protections in terms of purchase and all kinds of fun things. And then I also do trademarks um, for for small businesses as well. So Destination Legal has, has been great and, and growing. And it's a fun way because I, I have the freedom and flexibility that I want, but yet I'm also um, making a difference for a lot of people. And, and that is a great combo for me.
1: And I have to ask a few questions from the early backstory. What was the e-commerce business that you, you ran? I never knew about the e-commerce business. Yeah,
0: not many people did. So it was a drop shipping store where I sold eco-friendly furniture. It was called Modern Eco Furniture. I think it lasted, again, maybe about six months. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. And what were some of the, those early lessons in the first legal business and also in that drop shipping business that you learned?
0: So I think you know, with the dropshipping, one of the things I realized was you know, you, ha- you really have to like your product and know your product if you're running some kind of e-commerce store. And while, yes, I wanted to protect trees and help the environment, I didn't really feel attached to the mattresses I was selling or things like that. So I wasn't invested in putting content out there or kind of spreading the word. And so that's been something that I, that lesson I've carried over to Destination Legal, which is like trying to make legal simple and understandable and dare I say, even fun for people. I know you guys run into the same issues because, you know, legal and accounting are those two things that everybody needs, but not everybody wants to deal with. And so it's been sort of my goal to make it a little bit more fun. I have a Facebook group called Cocktails and Contracts and, um, you know, just trying to make things a bit more tangible. And then I think I also learned to one, just listen to your audience. So even though I was like, you know, people are going to need this, this, and this, that's not necessarily always the case. So really listening to where your sales are coming from and what people are asking for and then giving them that is a key, is a key thing as well.
1: Yeah. I think you made a great point there about understanding your audience and then giving them what they want and, that can help if if they are in a specific industry niche or they're a particular type of person. And I had to laugh when you said it, it can be hard making legal things engaging or fun. And we, you're right, we face exactly the same challenge in the accounting industry where it's really important, but sometimes it's it's not something that business owners are interested in. So the the, the core focus for the episode today is to talk about various legal dangers and risks that people should be protecting in their business. So you mentioned that you work with a number of coaches and consultants. So why don't we use a coach as an example or a case study? So we've got a coach that's just starting a business. What would at what point would they come to work with someone like like you and and what are the first risks that they would need to protect?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So th- they would come even before they have their first client. Now, in reality, a lot of them don't, but the first thing you need, the very, very first thing you need before you even take that first payment from somebody is a client contract. You never want to enter into a coaching agreement, a consulting agreement, any kind of exchange of money without something written. And there are so many things nuggets of gold in that contract that is going to protect you as the business owner. And so for a coach, there are a couple of things that can go wrong. One is just around payment. So if you don't have a contract, what's your, what's your payment and refund policy? Um, what if they go through four sessions with you and then decide that they want a full refund? If you have no payment policy or refund policy in place, The default is that you have to give them their money back. They might go to PayPal or wherever and and try to try to get that money back from you. And and that's not a fun process to go through. Whereas if you have a contract that just has your refund policy, hey, no refunds, especially after you've already given some of your your coaching expertise. Um. And then if you're doing running some kind of payment plan, when are you taking the payments? What if they miss a payment? So a bunch of things just around keeping the sale that you've made. You know, if you're just starting out, you're so excited with every sale, but you want to make sure that you actually get to keep that money. So that's that's one part of it. Another part are disclaimers, and this is huge in the coaching industry. It's it's so necessary for business coaches and health coaches and money coaches, really any any kind of expertise that you're sharing because you don't want to be held responsible for the information and education that you're giving so yes you hope your clients get these amazing results but there's no guarantee that they're going to and so you have to make it clear that that you aren't giving any kind of professional advice you're not a financial advisor you're not a lawyer you're not a doctor you're not a psychologist so depending on the type of coaching you know, the disclaimers might vary. So I, I have different contracts for health coaches than I do for regular because once you step into sort of health coaching and life coaching, you run into different things than if you're doing business coaching. But disclaimers are really there just to protect you as the business owner. And they also include protection for you if you're recommending third-party products or services. So You know, if I'm a business coach and I say, you know, you're just starting out with your online business, you need to go to Be Ninjas and Destination Legal for your accounting and legal needs. I, as the business owner, don't want to be responsible for anything that happens should my client decide to go with these third parties that I'm recommending. Um, So that's another big part of it. And then disclaimers also cover testimonials that might be on your website and things like that. And then, you know, contracts have a couple other things. They protect your intellectual property. So if you're a coach and you're sharing modules and PDFs and videos, um, you want to make sure that you have the proper legal protections, just that, you know, your clients can use them for purpose their purposes, but they can't resell them. They can't take them and change them and try to resell them and things like that. There's also, you know, disclaimer of warranties and things like that. And then the final most important thing is, Uh, dispute resolution and jurisdiction. So where is your business located? If something goes wrong, how are you going to solve that? If you don't have these clauses, the default is to end up in a courtroom and nobody wants to end up in a courtroom. And so it's good to have something like arbitration or mediation or some third party resolution in there. Uh, It's a much nicer, less expensive way to resolve any sort of conflict that comes up. So that's like the number one thing when a coach is getting started to make sure that you have in place. Um, and then after that, you know, as you grow your business changes, your legal needs changes. So once you have your website, there's certain things there. If you're doing live retreats, certain things there. Um, and I can dive into those, but that's sort of the basics.
1: Right. And I just had one question. The, the last part you were talking about where your business is registered or if something was to go wrong, where, so what state or um, region that the law would be applied? And do, is that always where your business is registered? Uh, and the reason I'm asking is a lot of our listeners are digital nomads, so they're actually travelling around, but their business would be registered in a particular location, but sometimes that isn't always in their home country. So are there any risks to be aware of when you're selecting what that state or region is?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. And and as the business owner, you actually have choice of law. So you can choose where you want the contract to be ruled by. However, it's most likely going to be either the country where your business is located or where the majority of your clients are. So I've had um, business owners that might be based in the UK or Australia or other places, but of their clients are in the U.S. So they might choose somewhere in the U.S. Um, But usually it's going to be in the country where your business is, even if you're traveling um, all the time. If your business is located in Australia, even if your clients are spread throughout the world, most likely you're going to just go ahead and choose Australia. And the reason for that is if something should come up, it's going to be easier for you to resolve that in your home country. and again, this is tricky in today's world because we're online business owners and, and we have clients all over the world. It might be difficult to track someone down in another country. Um, depending on what the issue is, that's where collection agencies come into place and things like that. But in terms of choosing where uh, the contract, usually it's going to be the country where your business is registered. Great. Right.
1: So if we go come back to this case study, and I think this coach needs a name, so I'm going to call it Claire the Coach. So Claire, so she's, she's now, she's been in touch with you and she has a contract and has started working with clients and she's realized that she also wants to have a website and write a blog. So are there any legal considerations she should be aware of when she's publishing the website and blog posts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So once you have a website, And you're putting any information out there, whether it's a blog, a video, an email, uh, any sort of marketing. Again, you're opening yourself up to liability. So there are a couple things to put into place to, excuse me, to make sure you're protecting yourself as the business owner. But then there's also some things that are legally required. So the main things for your website are a privacy policy and then website terms of service and disclaimers and so these documents are specific to your website so often people get confused because we have website terms and then we have terms of purchase which is for you know like an online course or digital product but website terms are specific to your website and also extend to protect you um, for the emails you're sending out and things like that and so website terms of service basically go in the footer on every page of your website And it outlines specifically what you're doing with your website and then what your visitors can and cannot do with the information on there. And so these terms also include disclaimers. So if Claire the coach is writing blogs on, um, let's say she's a health coach on how to lose 10 pounds in 30 days and she's putting some recipes out there, uh, she needs to make sure that it's clear that anyone that's using her blog or using her recipes, it's at their own risk and she can't be held responsible for anything that happens physically, financially, mentally to them, should they follow her, her blog. Um, And same thing if you're putting out information on emails and vlogs and things like that. And terms of service also include similar things that might be in a contract such as where's your business located? How do you resolve a conflict? Uh, IP, copyright protection for the information that's on your site as well. And then there's a privacy policy. And this is legally required in most places in the world today, certainly in Australia, in Europe, in the UK, uh, in the US, and Canada. And, you know, unless you've been living under uh, an internet rock, you've heard of GDPR, which, which came about uh, in the EU earlier this year. That's the General Data Protection Regulation. And that's all about um, personal data that you're collecting. So if you're a coach, if you're running any sort of business, you're most likely collecting email addresses, um, collecting other types of personal information that that need to be protected. And so a privacy policy basically outlines the information that you're collecting and what you intend to do with it. And now with GDPR, you also have to say, You know, what grounds do you have for collecting my email address? And have I given you consent and things like that? And so GDPR, yes, it's only in the EU, but as online business owners, even though I'm in the US, I certainly have people from the EU on my list. And so I need to make sure that I'm compliant there. And a privacy policy is something that goes not only on every page of your website, but also on any landing pages where you're collecting email addresses as well.
1: What kind of things can go wrong? So, say I was the health coach and I didn't have that disclaimer about using the information at my own risk. What kind of things could go wrong if I didn't have that?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, the biggest one is that you could get sued. So, somebody um, takes your recipe for a green smoothie and ends up in the hospital with some kind of allergic reaction and they come back and blame you. Or let's say she's a yoga instructor and she's putting out videos. And I'm try your, I try your video and I sprain my ankle. Um, I'm going to sue you. Now, it doesn't mean that, that I'm going to win, but just a lawsuit itself is very expensive and, and nothing you want to have to deal with. So someone could take the information you're putting out there and end up mentally, physically, financially injured in some way. And you're the one that they're going to come back and blame. So that's the biggest thing. Um, and then also in terms of a privacy policy, you can be fined. So whether you're in the U.S., you can get fined. The state of California has some strict rules and all you know, our websites end up in California. And so companies have been sued for huge amounts of money for not having a privacy policy. Delta Airlines is one. Uh, claim against them for $37 million because the law in California right now says every time someone stops by your website and you don't have a privacy policy, it's 2,500 bucks. And now in the EU as well, um, there can be fines for not having the the right privacy policy in place under GDPR. So for that, it's going to be money. And then otherwise um, for just sort of, visitors you can end up with this monetary liability you can end up
1: in a lawsuit so yeah the, the fines are, or even if you are in a lawsuit and you don't win that for a small business the legal fees could make it really difficult for a business to continue so it's really important to get these things right so if we head back to Claire the coach again is there anything or, I know that there's some rules around what kind of images you can use if so in, she's writing her blog And she wants to use images as part of that, but there's probably some images that she can't use. Could you just talk a little bit about what you can and can't use in terms of images?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, another great topic and something that there's, there's something really unfortunate going on right now, which is there are attorneys that are sort of hunting people on the internet that are using copyrighted images and, and taking them down for money. Um, so basically, if you're going to use images, use your own images or just make sure to use images that you have um, the correct license to use. So whether it's a free stock photo, whether you're signing up for some sort of stock photo site, just take a quick look at the licenses. Make sure that the images, you can use them for commercial use, that there's not limitations on how many times you can use it. um So that's something to just take a few minutes and make sure that you have the right permission to use the image. Don't just go to Google and because it's on Google, assume that you can take it just because someone put something on Pinterest or Instagram certainly doesn't mean you can take it. And so what can happen is that you can then be on the hook for copyright infringement. And that's what's happening with these. There are these attorneys out there that are doing this. And I had someone reach out to me just a couple weeks ago With this same situation, she had a blog. She had taken a picture from Google or Getty or something like that and put it on her blog years ago. And now she gets a letter that it was in fact a copyrighted image. She didn't have a license to do it. And now she has to pay them upwards. I think this was a thousand dollars. And I've heard up to seven or eight thousand for this kind of thing. And with copyright infringement, you really have no choice. So there's no. Even if you didn't realize it, even if it was your VA that did it, you as the business owner are still going to be on the hook for this. So it's something that um, she even gave credit to the artist. That doesn't matter. It's not about giving credit. You need permission and you need the right license. So if you're using images that aren't your own, just make sure to go through those extra steps of checking the licenses and making sure you have the right to use it.
1: Yeah, great. Issue ties nicely in with trademarks too. And one, I think one of the questions of the business owner, this is definitely a question that I had, was what was the right time to trademark our brand, the Bean Ninjas brand? And in our first six months, we weren't really making enough revenue to want to invest in a trademark. And we also didn't know how well the business was going to go and whether we would, how long we would be around for. And so it took us a little bit of time to build confidence in the business and it was only after about 18 months and when our revenue had increased and we really feel like felt like this was a sustainable business that we started to investigate trademarks and look into protecting our brand. Could you talk a little bit about, first of all, what trademarks are and then at what point you recommend businesses start to look into trademarks?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you guys are a great example and actually follow exactly what I would say. Um, so first, trademarks are protection for a brand name, logo, or tagline. So, uh, while we were just talking about copyright and copyright infringement, copyright is all about content, ebooks, courses, um, images, music, Anything like that, where our trademarks are really about brand name protection. So, Starbucks, Be Ninjas, Nike, just do it. All of those are trademarks of those specific companies. And to get a trademark, you actually have to be selling something in commerce. So, you have to have a product out there that is being sold, and then you can apply to get a trademark with your government. Um, usually, I recommend if you have any sort of market in the US to start there because uh, the US has one of the stricter trademark processes. So if you get the US trademark, it's then easier to get international protection and you can add on other countries um, fairly easily in, in another application. And once you go through the process, then you own the name. So what that means is you own your business name and nobody can come in and steal it if they're, do, if they're doing something similar. So that doesn't mean someone can't start selling jelly beans under Bean Ninjas, uh, but that's not really going to be a threat to you. So the whole thing about a trademark is, are we causing confusion among, cons- uh, uh, among consumers if there's similar names? So, for example, Apple, they're selling computers, phones, anything like that. If someone tried to trademark Orange for computers or phones – that wouldn't be allowed because that might be some, some kind of confusion. But someone could probably trademark Apple if they're selling uh, wood furniture, you know, something totally different. So that's kind of the basics um, of what that means. But it is a process, so it can take up to a year or longer to get a trademark registered. There are often questions with the trademark office. It's something that you would want to hire an attorney for. I've had numerous people try trademarks on their own and they end up coming to me because there's just some nuances that you wouldn't know unless you're an attorney. And so it is a financial and time commitment, which is why I don't suggest getting a trademark in the first six months. So I think you guys were pretty much right on the timeline of what I would think about. If you've been in business for a year or two, you're invested, you're making money and you are going to stick with this this brand name, this course name, this tagline for years to come. Um, because, again, it, it takes a little bit. So if, if you're out of business in a year, then what's the point? But if you see your business around for the next 5, 10, 20 years, then certainly um, it's something that you want to think about investing in. Because if you don't, you don't have the protection. Someone else could come in and start using your name. And then you could end up in some sort of legal battle. You could end up having to rebrand and change your business name. So it's something that if you get to a point where your business is is taking off and you're making money and you really think you're going to be around for a while, that's the point where you would want to think about a trademark.
1: Right. And I know from personal experience, it is a long process. And I do recommend getting legal advice as well. We had Sarah helping us along the way. and. I know a little bit about law from some of my studies as an accountant, but there were definitely nuances that I wasn't sure about that were difficult to research. And it was great working with someone who understood all of that and had been through that learning curve. And it's not something that you want to get wrong.
0: Right. Because then it just ends up costing more and um, it is something that, you know, it can be hands off for you as the business owner And then one day it's all
1: finished and now you own Bean Ninjas. And so that's great. (laughs) So I just had one other topic that I wanted to cover and that was around running live events. So if we go back to Claire, the coach, her business has gone really well, got the website and the blog, a lot of customers. And now she's got to the point that she'd like to bring everyone together and run an in-person live coaching event are there any legal considerations or risks that she should be aware of around running that event?
0: Yes, absolutely. So live event retreat contracts are a whole different beast. So this would be something very different than what Claire is using with her one-on-one clients. And the reason for that is if you are in person, And if you are meeting together in in another location, you as the business owner are opening yourself up to tons of of liability issues that you would never even think about if you're just running a program online. So what are some of those issues? Well, one is just kind of the basics of what are you including in your live event? Um, Are you including meals? Are you including lodging? Are you including any activities? Uh, just to be clear with your clients and customers about what they're getting so that they don't have expectations. Well, I thought I would show up and everything would be included. And then, you know, you run into a, a bunch of logistical nightmares. So that's one reason that you want a specific contract for your live event or retreat. And then the other one is just, again, these major liability issues. As the person putting on the retreat, there are things like if you are serving food, what happens if someone has an allergy? You want to make sure that they have uh, agreed that it's not your fault if they end up with some kind of allergic reaction. If you are sponsoring any kind of travel, you want to make it clear it's not your fault if something goes wrong, if they miss their flight, if their Uber driver gets in a car accident, um, if they slip and fall in the hotel, if you're hosting um, a yoga session and someone sprains their ankle. Again, all of these things that usually are not going to happen. But if they do, they could end up costing you a lot, and so it's it's important just to have these contracts in place before the event, so that it's clear that if something happens, you aren't responsible. And then, what if there's a hurricane? What if there's a you know some sort of uh, weather event or terrorist activity or something that causes uh, travel around the event to be an impossibility? The resort shuts down, things like that. Uh, You need to have sort of a plan B. Are you gonna refund everyone their money? Are you going to uh, pick another date and time? Things like that. And then, you know, again, just around refunds, things come up. Let's say I signed up for Claire's event six months ago and the day before I break my ankle or I go into labor or something like that. And now I can't make your event. I'm coming after you for a refund well, as a business owner, you might've already spent that money. And so again, these contracts are not meant to be scary. They're meant to be helpful, not only for you as the business owner, but for your customers and clients too. It just is outlining expectations so that should something come up, people have a document to refer to and, and figure out the next step together.
1: I like what you said there around setting expectations. And I think that's a nice way to look at agreements and contracts. It's just laying it out so that everyone's clear on what the expectations are and how something is going to work so that it's not ambiguous or, or prone to disagreement. Exactly. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. And I did just want to ask a couple of questions more about what, what it looks like for you running an online business and what a typical day or week looks like. I know that a lot of our listeners either are already running businesses where they're taking their lifestyle into consideration and and trying to be intentional around the way that they create their business and their days. And then also some of our listeners haven't yet made that jump, but are wanting to. So what does it actually look like for you day to day running your legal business?
0: Yeah. So this is such an interesting question. And I think it's if you asked me this yesterday or tomorrow, I would have a different answer than I do today. Um, my days are, are, look quite different. And actually, to, in all honesty, getting into the proper schedule has been a real struggle for me. It's something that I uh, continue to work on and continue to try to find the right balance Um, as of now, it kind of looks, you know, I get up, I have a morning routine. I like to journal. I do some reading. I have my coffee. Um, maybe I work out and then I aim to sit down at my desk, usually around nine or 10. Um, and then I am also, I'm working on kind of chunking my days. So Mondays I have set aside for, for content creation. Tuesdays I take client calls and and work on contracts. Wednesdays and Thursdays, I might work on bigger projects, whether it's creating a new funnel or, um, you know, right now I'm switching everything over to a new, to a new template shop. Um, and then Fridays are kind of admin catch up. But again, this is a schedule that I am, I'm working on. I don't always stick to it. The flexibility is amazing, but it really, it does take some discipline. So I don't have, I know some people have the tendency to be workaholics, that is not my tendency. Um, so for me, it's more about making sure that I'm getting done what I need to. So I I've joined a co-working space that I'm going to a couple times a week, and that really actually helps me uh, whether it's a co-working space or a coffee shop because usually if I'm going in, I have a specific, I need to get these three things done, and I do. And I find that very helpful. So I think the biggest, you know, piece of advice is to figure out how you as a business owner work best. I'm learning that I work best if I, if I really, uh, schedule out specific tasks versus saying, okay, today I'm just going to do content. Well, that, that means nothing's getting done. What I need to say is I'm going to write my newsletter. I'm going to write three posts and I'm going to, you know, create a new opt-in. And, and being able to cross things off a list um, also is very helpful to me. I like the the finality of being done with something. So um, I, that's the best answer I can give is to just, as you grow your business, give yourself some, great, some grace to kind of figure out how you work best. Um, and then also to enjoy. You know, there are plenty of days where... Um, I take off early or, uh, I don't work at all or or things like that. So as long as things are getting done and you're moving your business forward, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to look the same every day.
1: Yeah. That flexibility, it can be a double-edged sword around, as you said, either not work. I was in the work too much basket, especially at the beginning of being And we, we had, um, Michael, who's a, been Ninja's team member on the show a little while ago and he was talking about his transition from being having a corporate accounting job to then having the flexibility because we don't have set work hours. So it's, a, it's very similar to running your own business and having to actually sit down and figure out what schedule is going to work for you and, and is it batching particular tasks on particular days? Is it have, creating set work hours even, even if you don't need them? And I know myself and also what from what Michael was talking about there's an ongoing process of testing what is working, what isn't, life changes, and then you need to adapt. but I think I know I feel really lucky to to have that freedom um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's definitely some challenges that come with it
0: yeah absolutely there there certainly is you know, whenever I have a twinge of thought or like, oh, it would just be so much easier if someone just told me what to do. I quickly remind myself what that's like and, and having the flexibility is great. And yes, exactly as you said, just kind of figuring out what's going to work best for you.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on this, the show, Sarah. And lastly, if someone did want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to contact you?
0: Yeah, you can find me over at destinationlegal.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Destination Legal as well.